I got mad. I got wild. Let's put it that way. It's like these fears and dread are not good for us, individually or collective men or women or anyone in between. And that upset me as something that impoverishes us individually and collectively. Welcome to The End Game, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Auction. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. I am delighted to have as our guest today, Ashton Applewhite. She is widely regarded as the nation's leading advocate against ageism. She is author of the book, This Chair Rocks, a Manifesto Against Ageism. And she also launched a website called Old School, anti-aging clearinghouse, which compiles tools, texts, courses, and speakers about ageism and its discontents. She was named an Influencer of the Year among Next Avenue's 50 Influencers in Aging. She also earned a spot in Forbes magazine's list of 40 women to watch over 40. Ashton, thank you so much for taking part in the interview today. My pleasure, Don. One of the honors I neglected to mention in that introduction um, you earned the distinction of being on Phyllis Schlafly's enemies list. Uh, so first, congratulations. Uh, but secondly, what did you do to earn this honor? Uh, well, thank you for asking that. It's one of the facts of which I am most proud. Um, in case <laughs> anyone doesn't know who Phyllis Schlafly is, if, if you happen to catch the recent uh, TV Netflix series, I think it was Netflix, Mrs. America, Phyllis Schlafly was the conservative woman who succeeded pretty much single-handedly in tanking the Equal Rights Amendment in the 1970s by brilliantly framing it as a, as a family values issue. And my first serious book was called Cutting Loose, Why Women Who End Their Marriages Do So Well. And it's not an anti-marriage book or an anti-man book. It is about why it is hard to have an egalitarian marriage, assuming that's what you aspire to, in a society that values men and women differently. And, um, and it said that, you know, women could come through this, could and do, um, and be better out the other side. Not that divorce is anything to be entered into lightly. And that is what earned me a spot on Phyllis Schlafly's enemies list because she is a believer and was a believer. She is no longer alive in um, marriage as uh, the woman's rightful um, uh, destiny at any cost. Wow. Thank you for that refresher. Um, I had I had forgotten some of the gruesome details. <laughs> she was so smart. Hmm. Um, you have referred to ageism as the last acceptable prejudice. Can you can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? I can, although I have to admit I don't say that anymore. Um, I oh. am I am constantly learning that I've said things I shouldn't say or finding better ways to say them. The reason I don't say that anymore is because it has become ever more apparent to me, especially I will say in the wake of the fantastic Black Lives Matter movement that so many prejudices continue to be so acceptable that I don't like framing it. And also I've learned more about why it's problematic to compare um, one form of oppression to another because they all rely on and inform each other. 
Uh, I will say and do say that ageism is the least examined prejudice. We don't we we don't tend to be as aware of it. We don't tend to be as informed about it, and so comments. Um, and comparisons on the basis of age go unremarked. That would never, ever, ever pass muster if you made a similar comment on the basis of, of race or gender, for example. So um, how did you first become aware of ageism? Uh, um, well, I will give you a, an answer that goes back to that first serious book, um, Cutting Loose, Why Women Who End Their Marriages Do So Well. The catalyst for that book was a chance comment of my attorneys that most of his clients were women. And this was 20, 30 years ago. And I went home and found out on the fledgling internet that two thirds of divorces were initiated by women in the US. It's always been that way. It was even higher in colonial Connecticut when as soon as divorce became legal for women and I smacked my head and thought why don't I know this I thought it was 98% men leaving their sad you know wrinkly um, <laughs> useless ancient first wives behind for fertile um, adorable trophy versions and that's not the case and 22 years later I was in my mid 50s I was uh, thinking about getting older, I realized how apprehensive I was at the prospect. So being me, I'm not an academic, but I, I do my homework. I like to research. I like to, I like to understand the science behind what I um, hold as my opinions. And in a matter of months, if not weeks, came up with the data points that I started my TED talk out with a decade later, just that my realized that so many of my perceptions about getting older, just like my perceptions about how women fared after divorce, were way out of proportion, way too negative, or just flat out wrong. So once again, I smacked myself upside the head and thought, gee, why don't more people know that people are happier at the beginnings and the ends of their lives, that the fraction of Americans in over 65 in nursing homes is minuscule, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we don't know it for the same related reasons that we don't know that statistic about divorce, that we live in a heterosexist, capitalist, patriarchal, misogynist, ageist culture that wants us to be afraid in some fundamental sense that frames these things as scary because fear separates us and fear makes us buy things we don't need and um, you know and and let, let's you know if I mean aging is framed as a problem then we can buy stuff to quote unquote stop it or fix it and if it's and if natural transitions are pathologized then we can be persuaded to buy things to quote unquote, cure it or stop it, which is not to say that all, uh, you know, all, all age related ch changes that, that there aren't medical treatments that we can avail them ourselves of. But in general, it, no one makes money off satisfaction. So these things are problematized because we live in a hyper capitalist, hyper consumer society. Academic interest is, is one thing, you, you researched it, but, but what persuaded you to take up anti-aging as a cause? Um, Anti-ageism, anti not anti-aging. I make that I Thank don't you. feel bad. I just want it to go on the record um, as correct. Um, you know, there was not one moment at which I, I thought, oh, gee, I'm not 
you know, getting what I should get. I didn't get fired. I'm self-employed and I've been self-employed for a long time. And also I'm kind of a clod. I'm sure there are times when I was overlooked or ignored because I was older that I literally didn't even notice, um, which I say with no pride. It's just sort of my, or, or shame, you know, it's just, I sort of blunder my way ahead with things. So it really was more of an abstract uh, inquiry. I mean, and it was analogous to the thing with the, with the, this awareness of, gee, everything I thought I knew about women and divorce was wrong. Everything I thought I knew about getting older was wrong. So it was more of an abstract, I, I got mad. You know, I got riled, let's put it that way. It's like this this fear, these fears and dread are not good for us, individually or collective men or women or anyone in between. And that upset me as something that impoverishes us individually and collectively. So it was really um, just this sort of abstract desire to expose something that I thought was really damaging in society. I noticed that the... Uh... The secondary title of This Chair Rocks is A Manifesto Against Ageism. You don't hear manifesto batted around a lot these days. Um, did you choose that word? <laughs> Not did enough. Did you choose that word deliberately? <laughs> That's a great question. That is a great question. First of all, thank you for including the whole title. Um, it drives me nuts when people uh, refer to me as the author of This Chair Rocks. It's my own fault for creating the title that I did, but it's not a book about chairs or rocking. Um, and yes, I did choose Manifesto because uh, uh, back to ageism being unexamined, I really felt like we needed a book that set out in, in my you know ambitious goal, which you readers can decide for themselves whether I achieve it, of laying out the whole landscape, what it is, where it comes from, how to recognize it, and what we can do about it. Um, I did decide to self-publish the book, and I'm sure one of the reasons publishers were apprehensive about it was that scary word, manifesto. Um, although the publisher that paid me quite a lot of money for the divorce book, I showed it to them thinking, as did my agent, I think that they would offer me a nice chunk of change and we'd be done with the awful, awful business of selling a book. Um, and the editor looked at me and she said, we're concerned that no one else is, is writing about this. And that pregnant pause hung in the room. Exactly. And my thought balloon, <laughs> my thought balloon was not sayable on the air. Um, like WTF, uh, aren't you in the new idea business? And I knew right then I was screwed with them. Publishers are, are um, you know, they're, they're conservative. They really, they want to have the second book on the subject. So I ended, and I did not right. get the kind of offer I was hoping for from them or anyone else. So I ended up self-publishing, I will say, with the help of my partner who has worked in publishing for years. So he did a tremendous amount of the behind the making the book beautiful, doing the, all of the printing and the distribution stuff. I would not have been able to do it anywhere near as well, God knows, on my own. And then it did get picked up by a new division of Macmillan three years later. Um, but I just, I wanted to lay it all out. That's what manifestos do. They are a call for social change. And that's what we need. We need a grassroots movement like the women's movement, you know, which made us think very differently about the voice and power and position of women around the world. And we need the same thing mainly for the, the voice and visibility of older people because 
in a consumer-oriented capitalist society that pegs a human being's value to their conventional economic productivity, older people are less valued and definitely bear the brunt of ageism, but children don't make money either. And in my opinion, that's why we are not, one of the reasons we are not a truly child-friendly society either, I'm talking about the United States. And I just wanna make the point that ageism is any judgment about a person or a group of people on the basis of age and you're too young you know what could you possibly know at your age i i laugh because i think of i was hospitalized briefly a long time ago with a kidney infection and i looked around and everyone around the hospital bed looked about 12 to me that you know i i i was i received excellent care and my next thought was i'm sure they you know they know plenty and indeed they did but that's ageism too Right. So but older people do bear the brunt of it. You've also been described as a uh, as a radical, uh, a pro-aging radical. Is that a label you're comfortable with? Uh, yes, it is. I mean, the you know, the root of the word radical is root. Good. And I am asking for fundamental system level change. So sure. And do you think the anti-ageism has the potential to, to be as big a force as the women's movement or gay rights or civil rights? I, absolutely do. I mean, in the abstract, it has the potential to be even bigger because it is the, the one universal human condition. It is the one form of discrimination every single human being experiences. It is often the first form of discrimination that white men encounter. So there are all these huge you know, paths towards awareness that involve, frankly, every human being on the planet, especially since we are aging from the minute we're born. You know, it's not just something annoying old people do. However, I would prefer to see it, in, rather than comparing it to the women's movement, I would rather see it acting in concert with. Women, for example, are leading the movement against ageism. Uh, because I think we have more at stake, you know, because of the intersection with sexism. So I would like to see those two movements build on each other and integrate with each other. And of course, a better world in which to be a woman or to be older is also a better place in which to have a disability or to be a person of color. It has, you know, it has the, the, the premise of intersectionality is the idea that all different forms of oppression and discrimination reinforce and inform each other. Activism has the same potential. When we chip away at the fear and ignorance that underlie any kind of stereotype, I think we erode the basis for them all. So if we make it a better world in which to be a woman, it's gonna be a better world in which to be an older woman, right? So all these struggles also are intertwined in a way that I think is, is powerful and beautiful also. One of the things that I hear entirely too often from people um, who are concerned about wokeness is, you know, I'm tired of having to walk on eggshells. Why do I have to tiptoe mm -hmm. in every conversation mm -hmm. around these terms? And what do you say to responses like that when it comes to ageism? Um, that's a great question. I recently went into a store in my neighborhood in Brooklyn um, and conducted my business, mailed something and then pointed out a horrible birthday card they had that, you know, I'll still love you when, when we're old and senile. And the woman, the, the two people I was dealing with were respectful. They happened to be younger. I don't know if that's relevant. 
and an older woman in the back who was maybe the manager came down on me like a ton of bricks. Who did I think I was um, to lecture them about what to do? It wasn't safe to say anything in this world. Some people are just too touchy. And she, and she was nasty. And, you know, and all I said was, um, you know, you, you would never sell a card that mocks people on the basis of who they sleep with or, you know, the color of their skin. And this is not okay either. And walked out, you know, feeling uh, very upset. And you would think by now I would be used to that. I mean, I don't think we're ever used to confronting stuff in the culture. It can feel like everything, uh, or sometimes I say, it's a minefield out there. But culture is mutable. And I feel like, um, you know, if we don't pay attention to the way culture and language are changing, we forfeit our right to comment on it. And I think it's incredibly interesting, you know, how culture and values are changing. And I do think that we are becoming more aware of all these um, prejudices and the way, you know, and of how privilege and power operates in the world. And if you think that rising inequality is a problem in the world, then this awareness and, you know, being more aware of all these forces at play is how we combat it. So, and I also think, you know, if you say something, I mean, I will confess that, um, you know, before the podcast started, I didn't have my earphones in. So of course I wasn't hearing you. And I said, I was just, that was spazzy or I was being a spaz, which is something I said in high school which is something I have learned in my 60s is not okay to say because it is ableist, right? It is, it is, um, it is a negative comment on the basis of people who have spasticity. You know, it's a, it's a neurological condition. I still said it, you know, so it's a moving target. But I also think, I hope if, if anyone is listening to this podcast who has, you know, is, has a spastic condition, they will believe me that I am sorry I said it and that I'm learning not to, and that I am happy to say I screwed up and I'm trying to do better. That to me is a, is a, is a good place to be. It's a kind and gentle universe um, where we care about each other's well-being. Kind and gentle, maybe we're not there yet, but that's what I would like to imagine. <laughs> it's, it's something to wish for. Um, exactly. Let's segue from that. You have also a blog uh, called Yo, Is This Ageist? which I think is a wonderful title. Um, and if you could put your snarky blog head on for just a second, let me, <laughs> let me throw some questions at you and ask uh -oh. if they are ageist. You ready? Can I throw one thing in about the title? It is an imitation of a knockoff, which I say right up front, and then I did obtain permission, of the pre-existing Yo! Is This Racist blog. Okay. So I just I capitalized on that. All right, fair enough. Um, is this ageist? Would you like some help with your groceries? Great question. Um, it is more ableist than ageist. The presumption when you offer help to someone is that they lack the physical capacity to complete the task. Uh, but, it's, and so I'm guessing that if, if you are offering that help to an older person, you are being both ageist and ableist. However, it is a lovely universe. I don't know why I'm so caught up on the idea of a kind and gentle universe this morning, but it's Monday morning and we might as well come out swinging for the world we hope for. 
it is a lovely gesture to offer help to someone. That is all of society is interdependence. We all depend on all kinds of help, whether it's visible or invisible, paid or unpaid, in every single transaction from dawn to dusk. Um, it is a kind thing to do first and foremost to say, can I, can I offer you a, a, a hand? So there is not only nothing wrong with doing that, it is a beautiful and thoughtful thing to do. The trick is to uh, ask first and to listen to the answer and respect it and to offer that hand to anyone who looks like they might need that hand. Could be someone pregnant, could be someone holding a baby, could be a kid struggling with something. And so to listen to the answer and to, to always to treat that person as you would like them to treat you. If someone snaps at you and says, I'm fine, um, I apologize on their behalf. They are responding that way because of their own internalized bias about their own age or ability. And that is their deficit. And it is still, um, in my opinion, uh, kind and appropriate of you to offer help, but without, don't jump up from that seat, don't take their hand, don't grab that bag. Ask and respect the answer. Good. Here's another. Oh, sure, it's, it's easy. Hand me your phone and I'll show you. <laughs> That's just flat out condescending. Um, I'm unable to make any um, Solomonic judgment on what ist it is conveyed without knowing whether it was from a younger person to an older person or a fat person to a thin person or a black person to a white person or all those, you know, interstitial identities. Um, it is uh, always a good idea when offering assistance or teaching something to show the person how they might be able to do it themselves. So it's condescending to just grab it and say, let me show you how to do it. The ageist assumption would of course be, it is a younger person teaching an older person how to do something. These questions are always complicated. A lot of stuff on phones or apps is confusing and poorly designed. I have a younger colleague, one of the people with whom I created the anti-ageism uh, clearinghouse who is in her early thirties. Her theory is, that when older people have trouble doing something on their phone, they think, and I am totally guilty of this, I'm stupid, I wish I knew how to do this, I'll never get the hang of this. That people around her age group um, muddle along till they figure it out, and that people younger than she say, this app sucks, the design is crappy. Like, right, the fault isn't with me, the fault is with whoever designed this thing. So that is just a potential example of how the answer is complicated and depends on the device, the situation, the person, and everything else. Okay, good. Um, what I said was... Uh, and, you know, is getting irritated at having to repeat themselves again, or is it a political dispute where someone has a question, not necessarily dispute, where um, someone has put forth an opinion and they're getting pushback. Um, is that pushback, um, you know, because the person is lazy or because the person is questioning the merits of the argument? Depends on the context. It's rude, you know, and it's never okay to be rude. Next one. Okay, Boomer. 
OK Boomer is a really interesting one. I just got um, a question. I just, someone just asked me that question, and I should tell everyone that the, the URL for the blog is yoisthisageist.com. And when I am writing the questions, I think very hard about how to answer them concisely and accurately, which is harder to do on the fly, of course. And I also am, have been making short video clips of them. so. Um, they're less than two minutes long. Check them out and share them. In my answer to OK Boomer, I link to a, a blog post on my regular blog, which is thischairrocks.com slash blog, where I wrote at some length about that. The OK Boomer came out, had a horrible origins um, of, of a TikTok song where, you know, all uh, Older people were tarred as having orange hair and loving Trump and being conservative and not caring about the world they left behind, uh, which is not okay. It's not okay to say anything negative about any group of people, whether it's on the basis of their age or their gender, etc., etc., etc. A little bit of this sort of the way it's used, though, is which I don't have an issue with, is to say, be you know, hey, older person. These are issues that are uh, alive in the world today, and I'd like you to stay apprised of them. You, you older person, can sit on the porch swing and never read a newspaper and never read the news. That's your complete prerogative, but I think that you forfeit your, um, your position as a commentator and as a voice of influence in that culture if you don't make some attempt to keep up with what's happening. So using OK Boomer in that snarky sense of like, hey, hey, you know, watch this thing, listen to this thing, keep keep abreast, I don't have an objection to. The bigger issue with OK Boomer is that I am opposed to generational framing of any sort. Generational labels, and I've written an article about that, which the post on Yo Is This Ageist also links to, is why we should all try and wean ourselves of literally using the word generation as often as we do. There's no scientific basis for generations. It, fra- it fosters old versus young framing. That's the problem, right, in, in, in a nutshell. And it, it, it covers up the far greater role that class first and foremost, but also gender, ethnicity, geography, play in shaping our experience. People, for the most part, think the way they think, not because of how old they are. Age is much less of a variable than we think. And the minute you put it with boomers, you, you, you impose whatever set of associations we have, and we all have them about class, gender, whatever, on this group of people that is not accurate. And it makes it really easy to say, old people want this, or they're like this, and that is opposed to the interest of all young people, and who, of course, could not possibly think alike. So I am opposed to all, you know, I would rather not be called a boomer. I would not, I try not to call my kids millennials. Um, I try to refer people by the age group, the age they are, if it's relevant which I think it was in the story I just told about how people in different age groups relate to technology, but it's better left off. I mean, paradoxically, the world, this kinder, kinder, gentler world, ha ha ha, I hope to live in is one in which age is present. We reference it. We don't forget about it. It's a key identifier, but it's way less salient because your age really says much less about you than we think it does. And the older you get, 
the less that number says about you. The longer we live, the more different from one another we become, and the less our age says about what we're capable of, or, or uh, you know, socially, cognitively, physically, developmentally. So let's kind of drop that habit if we can. Good answer. Um, let's go back to something you talked about, which is your uh, anti-aging clearing. Ageism. Uh, anti-ageism. There it is again. <laughs> I I'm, do it all the time, I swear. <laughs> what was your objective uh, in, in putting that site together? Well, my objective was very abstract and woolly. I mean, I've never done this before. I'm making this up as we go along. Uh, but I thought, you know, the, the anti-ageism movement is new. It's emerging. And wouldn't it be great if there was a central repository? I was thinking about the women's movement. Wouldn't it have been great if there was one place people could go to to find out, you know, what, what, are, what are some trainings? What's advice on language? What are some good videos? Who are, um, you know, what, what are the best books? And so that is why, with two colleagues, we created this tiny little website, which we called the Old School Anti-Ageism Clearinghouse. And we were, frankly, astonished by how many people were interested right away. We started it uh, three and a half years ago. Within six months, we had to start a campaigns section. And we also had to develop a tactful form letter for all the people sending things in saying, this is not a place if, for something that is um, about creative aging, about healthy aging, about positive aging. This is about ageism, discrimination on the basis of age. So the campaign section is campaigns uh, from around the world, um, some small, some big, uh, that are specifically designed to raise awareness of ageism and how to combat it. And we are now um, uh, sort of abetted, I hate to say anything, the pandemic made anything better, but it actually raised awareness of ageism and ableism in ways that I think are good at hideous cost. Uh, and we started hosting virtual convenings of people who identify as age advocates because we'd also like to function in ways that we are developing now uh, um, as a hub of movement building activities so people who are doing this kind of work or interested in doing this kind of work can um, show up and meet each other and carry out some part of the work that they feel like doing. So since we're kind of looking toward a more positive spin, uh, I'd like to, to go from being anti-ageist to pro-aging for a second. What's so great about getting older? Uh, well, that depends completely on your own experience, okay? So each of us is unique, and if there was one fact I wish I could put in every head in the world, it would be that the, the, the geeky way to put it is heterogeneity increases with age. Every newborn is unique, of course, but 17-year-olds have way more in common physically, socially, developmentally than 37-year-olds who are way more alike than 57-year-olds and so on. So the things you love and hate about being the age you are uh, may make, certainly overlap to some degree with the things I love and hate about it, but there may be other things that are completely different. We are both um, wearing glasses. Uh, I wore glasses my whole life, and then when I had my second cataract surgery, because they put different lenses in the eyes for, for a couple of really wonderful years, um, I didn't have to wear glasses at all. I do not love 
the reduction of my physical senses. I don't see as well as I used to. Um, I don't hear as well as I used to and so on. So that is, but, but there's only two inevitable bad things about getting older. The, some part of your body is going to fall apart. Cognitive decline is not inevitable. And most of us experience some decline in, you know, speed and certain kinds of processing, but that's all that happens, right? When you can't find the keys, it doesn't mean you have dementia. It means you can't find the goddamn keys and young people lose keys too all the time. The other inevitable bad thing is the loss of people we've known all our life, but nothing else negative is inevitable. And the real problem is not that these issues and problems are not real. We all have legitimate worries about some aspect of getting older, running out of money, ending up alone. But we only hear that side of the story. I can't speak for you, but I live better. I have less debt. I have fewer concerns and, and immediate responsibilities for other people. I am drawing in this work on everything I have done and learned in the 69 years that got me here. I am less, I am more confident. I am way less insecure about how I look and I, which may be, you know, very gendered. So there are lots of things I really love about being the age I am. So you won't catch me, you know, I don't love positive aging and successful aging as umbrellas because I think there's a tendency to sort of graywash, if you will, and say, look, I, I can still do X, Y, Z as well as I could when I was younger. And if you were a competitive athlete, the losses of physical function were, will be harder for you than they are for me. I was never athletic. So the fact that I can't, you know, uh, run a marathon. I never did run a marathon, but perhaps, you know, other losses are harder for me than they are for you, but we adapt, you know, we age well, not by avoiding these losses, but by adapting to them and adapting to them is really interesting and really enriching. It's part of what makes us human. For my part, I have found uh, that I, I like aging a lot because I feel like uh, I finally got to dispense with all of my uh, adulting duties. Yeah, I feel less encumbered in that way. And now I can just get back to what I wanted to do in the first place. And, and it's, it's, I feel like every day is another day of summer vacation. I don't feel it's like vacation, but I like, um, I, 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 my, my best friend's daughters, one of whom is, is my godchild, talks about like, she said, how's your day? She said, I had to do a lot of adulting, meaning, you know, just grown up responsibility stuff that is not fun. And that persists, of course, we're never free of those duties, but I do think that load diminishes. I mean, if you ask people whether they actually want to be younger, people's faces brighten for a second. And then when they realize you're not saying, no, just swap out the, you know, the cartilage, but you actually have to erase the board and go back to when you were young. Nobody wants to do it because first of all, being young is hard. And also we know no matter how apprehensive we may be about the years ahead for reasons that may be completely invented and overblown or may be completely legitimate, that our years are what make us us. And why should we give that up even if we had the ability?
that, that I always think of that when people um, a, a little, you know, people say I don't I don't feel old. What they really mean is I don't feel ugly, I don't feel incompetent, I don't feel invisible. I felt all those things so much more acutely when I was 13 than I ever felt them again. I would not go back to that age for all the tea in China. There's a there's an uh, ancient metaphor, and uh, you know, and we can feel all those things at any age, which is an example of what I was saying before. Age isn't really part of why you feel that way. So, to kind of bring this back, um, what is it that we can do, all of us who have been uh, gifted with all these years, to combat ageism? Thank you for that question. Um, the first and most important step is to look at your own attitudes towards age and aging. And a really specific starting point would be to look at how you use the words old and young, right? Do you use, which we all do, everyone is biased, everyone is in this culture we are barraged by negative messages about aging and disability from children's books and disney movies on and those become part of our identity it's that idea that if you look quote unquote old uh, or that that that's shameful so then when someone kindly offers you a seat on the bus you snap at them that is because you haven't thought about uh, you know, about how you have internalized those negative messages and become ashamed of something that really shouldn't be shameful. We all get older. We all need help all the damn time, right? Um, so think about how you use the words old and young. We can't challenge bias unless we're aware of it. And most bias is unconscious. My favorite comment about my book is, oh, geez, you know, I had no idea how ageist I was. No judgment. We are all biased in all sorts of ways. So look at your own attitudes. Um, you know, I devote my life to making this information, of, you know, the stuff I've learned available to the public. It is, my book is wonderful. It's fun to read. Please say it's fun to read. Um, but it is not free, but it's not that expensive. But if you don't want to buy the book, um, I have been blogging out loud at thischairrocks.com slash blog. There's all my Q and A's on Yo Is This Ages. There's the some of them in video form if you don't want to read them. Um, there is, you know, so, and I, I'm not the only person writing about this by any means. Um, and check out the Old School Clearinghouse, which is oldschool.info. And think about what you can do on an individual level. If it's, if, <laughs> I just told that awful story about greeting cards, but, you know, go in the greeting card aisle and turn all the awful cards around if you don't want to confront the proprietor. If you, if you feel like, um, you know, bringing it up to the proprietor, uh, you know, I, I urge you to do so. Just say, you know, gee, would you, you know, raise it in a non-confrontative way. If you are on the receiving end of an ageist comment, um, it's hard not to ignore it or um, get angry. But if, you know, are, aren't you retired? Um, a good all-purpose answer, that would be an example of a, a, a microaggression. Um, you know, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that is a really good all-purpose rejoinder because it compels the person to reflect on why they said what they said. And that's really the change each of us needs to initiate starting between our own ears. What did we mean by that when we said, oh, I'm too old for that? You might have been too lazy. You might have been too smart. You might have been too busy. 
but your age was not the reason, right? So to interrogate ourselves and others. And, you know, then there's on old school, there's tons of stuff. There's videos, there's courses. We we have consciousness raising guides. I'm about to put one out. We are about to put one out on um, called Ageist Sexist, Who Me? about starting a group that discusses the intersection of ageism and sexism. Ageist Racist is already out there. Just plain old who me, ageist, start a group to talk about these these attitudes and what they, and, and you know, and how they inform the way we are in the world because that consciousness raising is the tool that catalyzed the women's movement. And bit by bit, you know, do whatever you feel um, interested in and able to do and maybe it'll grow and maybe you'll just um, stop calling yourself an old coot or maybe you'll start calling yourself an old coot proudly. It, there's no right way to do this, right? Whatever works for you. Ashton, thank you so much for these great ideas and for being on the program and for sharing your insights and your wisdom and also thank you for undertaking this work on behalf of all of us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The End Game, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The End Game.